0: Hello, I'm Frank Wright, president of D. James Kennedy Ministries, where we are standing for truth and defending your freedom. Welcome to Kennedy Classics. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, where we post all sorts of great content, including commentaries, interviews, and features. Just go to facebook.com slash djameskennedy and click like. Pragmatism is a 19th century philosophy developed right here in America, and one that has unfortunately gained wide acceptance. Taken as a whole, pragmatism abandons any hope of discovering ultimate truth. As Dr. R.C. Sproul once said, Pragmatism is skeptical with respect to objective principles of righteousness and defines truth as that which works. In this philosophy, Sproul said, the end always justifies the means. The driving force behind decisions within the scope of pragmatism is the force of expediency. Simply put, expediency is the quality of something being convenient and practical, whether or not it is improper or immoral. Now, if we are honest with ourselves, this sad truth is evident everywhere we look in today's society. Many prefer to be pragmatic rather than principled. They live their lives based off of what is convenient and what is easiest and ignore what is right and what is moral. They have elevated the idea that the end justifies the mean to a secular virtue. As Christians, we are called by God to live our lives differently, governing ourselves by principles and precepts set forth in the Word of God. Convenience and practicality are not intrinsically evil, yet they can be temptations to leave the straight stick of truth behind. Dr. D. James Kennedy delves deeper into this issue of pragmatism in his message, Christ before the Supreme Court.
1: Our scripture this morning is taken from the 11th chapter of the Gospel according to John. The verses that I will read describe events that take place immediately after Christ had called Lazarus out of the tomb. May we hear the inspired word of the living God. 11.43 And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth they took counsel together, for to put him to death. And may God speak to us through his word this day, and may his name ever be praised. Amen. The true high priest of God, Jesus Christ, stands before Joseph Caiaphas, the false high priest. Of God. And the notable thing about this great encounter, which could be called Christ before the Supreme Court, but the notable thing is that both of these men are in agreement. Perhaps you didn't pick up on that. Caiaphas said to his fellow members of the Sanhedrin, Ye know nothing at all. Know ye not that it is expedient that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish? Jesus said, It is expedient that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. And Caiaphas said, and let it be him. And Jesus said, let it be me. Expediency. That's what Caiaphas lived by. But it is a very poor guide oftentimes in life lest, he said, the Romans come and take away our place, particularly my place and the nation. And so this whole concoction to crucify Christ was brought up. Six years later, six years later, Vitellius, the Roman king and governor of all of Syria, came and took Josephus, Caiaphas out of his place, and he was banished. And then, some years after that, the Romans came back and took the entire nation into slavery and further crucified, which is what they did to Jesus, some 100,000 Jews, Along all of the roads leading to Jerusalem, wherever you came to that city, the roads were lined with people dying in agony. Expedience is not a good expedient, as they discovered. Now we are approaching Holy Week the holiest part of the Christian religion. And now they have brought their Messiah, whom they don't want, before the high court to condemn him. I trust you will remember that Christ went through two different trials. One, which we're looking at today, was the ecclesiastical trial. When that was completed, they brought him bound to Pilate And he went through the civil trial for the simple reason that the Romans had taken away the power of the Jews to commit capital punishment. They wanted him dead. They had to get Pilate's permission, which was humbling to say the least. Now, the Sanhedrin was mostly made up, as you may know, of the Sadducees which was the liberal group among the religious leaders of Judea, Israel. They were like the modern liberals. They controlled the entire ecclesiastical situation in that day, and they have in America for some while done the same. The Sadducees in that day made it very clear they didn't believe in the resurrection, didn't believe in immortality didn't believe in the inspiration of the scriptures, and their kind still hold forth from innumerable seminaries and pulpits, though not like before. Caiaphas is meeting with his Vitellius and being removed from his positions today as well. Now, the Sanhedrin was a great supreme court of Israel, I remember a guide in Jerusalem one time telling me that this was the oldest parliament in the world. And I said, excuse me, sir, it is not a parliament at all. Israel in the Old Testament, check it out, had no parliament. There was one lawgiver in Zion, and that was God. They didn't need anyone passing laws, nor would God have tolerated it. The court was there to decide on differences of interpretation. But God was the lawgiver. But that's what they called it. And so Christ was led. And here, the 70 members of the Sanhedrin, mostly Sadducees of the unbelieving party, Elders, they sat in a three tiered semicircle around this great room, like this. And on the other side, on a raised platform, there was the throne chair where sat the great high priest with his golden mitre and breastplate. And there was Caiaphas, all decked out for the occasion. He had been looking forward to this for some time. He had definitely seen. Jesus, and he knew what he was doing. And he already had told them that it was necessary, as well as expedient, that they get rid of this man. And so they bring in witnesses, false witnesses. They, we are told in the scripture, sought false witnesses. Every part of all of these trials, all six parts of the ecclesiastical and civil trial, were virtually all illegal. It's the middle of the night. The Sanhedrin doesn't meet except in the daytime, between the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice. They certainly don't meet at night. And they certainly don't don't go seeking for false witnesses, but these did, because they could think of nothing that they had seen or heard about him that was illegal. And by the way, they also would not ever bring witnesses without a defense lawyer. Jesus had no defense except himself. But they were going to condemn him one way or the other. And so they brought these false witnesses and no two of them could agree, which was essential that they do. Finally, two came that seemed to agree this man said one declared that he was able to tear down the temple and build it again in three days well could they get corroboration they brought up another one and said yes I heard this man myself he said that he was able to tear the temple down and build it again in three days I wonder how many of you would have thought that was agreement it wasn't One of the men, one of them said this man said that he was able to do that. The other one said he would do it. I will, he said, tear down the temple. The other could be just a boast. I can leap over the Empire State Building. And then when I'm at the top of it, I'll knock it over. To claim that I could do such a thing would be one thing. To declare I was going to do it, quite another. And so they had no witnesses that would agree. Caiaphas was beginning to be desperate. Tell me he thought that I'm going to have this man right in my hands here in the Sanhedrin. and He's going to get away because of these witnesses. And so he decides to do something else that was illegal having first leaped down from his throne chair and said with great solemnity, what is it that these witnesses witness against thee? What great crimes are they saying? He fully well knew they hadn't said anything. But he makes this pretense of important accusations when there were no such that were made. And finally, he hits upon another expedient, and he says, I adjure thee before the living God that you tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Now, he again is violating the law. Even in America, that's illegal. You cannot ask a man to witness against himself, and most certainly not to acknowledge that he is guilty of what would then be a capital crime. But that was what Jesus was waiting for. And again, Jesus looks him full in the face and says, Thou hast said, which was the Hebrew way of saying, yes, that's correct, But he went further and said, I am. Blasphemy, cries Caiaphas. This man speaketh blasphemy. What think ye, he says to the Sanhedrin. And they cry out, he is guilty of death. They fully understood what he had said. But they weren't interested in finding out if it's possible this really could be the Messiah. They all agreed that he had just raised a man from the dead. Perhaps this was the Messiah that they'd been waiting for for centuries. They weren't going to take one minute to find out. He is guilty of death. So they prepared to lead him to Pilate to seek his... Death. Here, my friends, is the most tragic example of religiosity turned against itself. And here the leaders of the Jewish religion are destroying the very central hope of Judaism by killing this one who claimed now clearly that he was indeed the Messiah. Did you ever hear somebody say that Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah? He did on a number of occasions and never more solemnly than this before the entire Sanhedrin of the Jewish people. He declared, I am the Messiah, the Son of God. Most people don't realize that. But rather, they're too busy doing things like, well, the Bible contradicts itself all over the place. How many of you have ever heard anybody say, oh, the Bible is full of contradiction? How many of you have heard that? Isn't that interesting? I've heard it off and on for many years. I, what I like to do in a case like that is simply say to them, well, you know, that's, that's very interesting I've been reading the Bible for 50 years, and and I haven't been able to find one. I wonder if you would show me one of these many contradictions that exist in the Bible. You would think I were offering them a hot iron. They won't touch it. I've never had anybody take it out of my hand. Because they know that, first of all, they'll feel, feel like an idiot... If they could show me something, they know it wouldn't really be a contradiction. And furthermore, if they ever thought they found one, they couldn't find it again. So they won't even touch the Bible. No, the problem with most people in the Bible is not that it's filled with contradictions, it's filled with the truth, and that they do not like. So my friends, here is Christ declaring officially before the Supreme Court of Israel that he is the Christ, the Messiah. And here is the false high priest living by expediency. Expediency, by the way, is from the words expedes, which in Latin means out, and secondly, the foot. It's taking the foot out of a snare. If you have a problem, you resort to expediency. But the problem is expediency rarely works because Caiaphas had no moral standard to judge what he said and what he did. And those are the people that will most frequently fall back on expediency. We can either live by expediency or we can live by the moral law of God. I recommend the latter because expediency will often leave your foot in that trap as Caiaphas discovered that his was. So we have a great high priest who was not ashamed of us and was not afraid to acknowledge it in the most dangerous spot for him on the face of the earth. And they took him. And the civil governor condemned him. And he was taken to the cross. And his feet and his hands were skewered to that cross. But... He rose again from the dead. And at this holy time of the year, we can rejoice because we know he is not dead, he is not gone. He's very much alive, and he is the supreme ruler of his world and the savior of men. Is he your savior today? I think that's a question that presses in upon us, especially at this time of year. This one who went through all of this agony, who came right into it and freely admitted it, is he your Messiah? Is he your Savior? Has he come in to your life? I'm sure there's some here. Who could not answer all of those questions in the affirmative, then ultimately you will have an opportunity to discuss it with Caiaphas because now he has a permanent place. May we pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank Thee that Thou hast sent the true High Priest to come to offer a sacrifice for our sin, and the sacrifice that he offered was himself. Lord, we pray that You will open our hearts, that we will acknowledge our own guilt, our own unworthiness, and that Thou, o Christ, has died for us. And Thou hast said that those of us that trust in Thee will never die, but will live everlastingly with Thee in paradise. And in that we rejoice and ever will. In Christ's name, Amen. I hope you prayed along with Dr. Kennedy just now, opening your heart to Jesus Christ and placing your trust in Him. If you did, you have begun the greatest adventure of your life. And to help you learn more about the decision you have just made, we want to send you Beginning Again. It's the book written by Dr. Kennedy for new believers. As you read it, you'll learn how to study the Bible, how to pray, and even how to tell others about what you have just done. To receive your copy, just write to our address or call our toll-free number. And be sure to ask for Beginning Again. May God bless you.
0: As Dr. Kennedy explains, we can either live our lives by expediency or we can live our lives by the moral law of God. In our day, many are living their lives with no evident moral standard at all to guide them, a phenomenon easily visible in our judicial system. Judges are rewriting the Constitution with little regard to the text itself. What can you and I do to stop this? Well, we have a brand new resource that you need to have. Former Congressman John Hostetler, who represented Indiana for six terms in the House of Representatives, has written a new booklet entitled Change the Senate and Change America. This intriguing short book will help you understand how the Vice President has largely untapped constitutional powers to set and guide the agenda for the Senate, which can have a massive influence on our nation. To get your own copy, simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 1164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Call toll-free 888-332-3069, or you can go online to djkm.org. America's Christian roots have been so obscured that many today deny the truth that America was founded as a Christian nation. Yet God superintended the welfare of our blessed nation even before its actual founding we have another great companion resource to go with the booklet that you also need to have. It's Dr. Kennedy's sermon, America's Greatest Hero. In this message, Dr. Kennedy describes the one who did more for our freedom and for the establishment of a Christian nation here than anyone else. Dr. Kennedy takes you on a tour through the history of the world and the sovereign acts of Almighty God as He purposely established America as a Christian nation. We will send you the booklet, Change the Senate and Change America, along with a DVD of one of Dr. Kennedy's finest messages, America's Greatest Hero as our thanks for your generous donation of $50 or more to the ongoing work of this ministry. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or call toll-free 888-332-3069. Or you can go online to djkm.org. I'm Frank Wright. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Kennedy Classics. We'll see you next time. Today's program is available on DVD for your gift to this ministry of any amount. Please call, write, or log on to our website today. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.